Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. G'day, Matt. How are you? Hello, Andrew. I'm doing very well. It's Christmas time. You like the gangster gab straight off the plane? Ah, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't notice the pants until right now. I was too distracted by the, what's going on up top. What can I say? And look, Matt's here for one very good reason, because he's about to be a dad and we're not going to see him for a few months. That's right. Yes, I'll be on parental leave for a couple of months. So it'll be uh, Andrew and Nina flying the flag with Kim, with Kim on the briefing. That's really exciting. Thanks, so Andrew. I think for yeah. all of our family who are watching there, Best wishes, mate. Thanks, Andrew. It's a very exciting time. I'm very nervous and anxious, but excited at yeah, the same time. Yeah, get used to not sleeping. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's just jump on to something that's come out in the last day or so, which is the Star City prosecution by mm. ASIC mm. around director's duties. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today, but this is a case about money laundering in casinos yep. and yep. about director's liabilities. And the importance of this decision is very substantial, isn't it, Matt, because it, it looks at how officers within organisations behave, mm. whether it's around proper wages, mm. whether it's the safety jurisdiction. That's right. It's wherever directors make decisions with a knowledge that they shouldn't be doing the decisions they're mm. doing. And what this case found is three steps. One mm. is, is it a risk you're aware of? Mm. So money laundering in a casino, is you're aware? At that yep. stage, an obligation arises to identify the nature of the hazard mm-hmm. and to determine what is the method of controlling it and a reporting system that establishes mm-hmm. and monitors what's happening. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen in Star City Casino. No, it did not. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're still there. There were two notifications, one by the bank about concerning transactions, mm-hmm. which is the National Bank, the second one by KPMG who did a report which identified a substantial risk. Mm-hmm. Once again, the board noted it, mm-hmm. acknowledged the level of risk, actually communicated that it was a risk but did nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And now ASIC, and I think all of us agree, would say that these officers are at enormous risk. Mm-hmm. Matt and I are only really chatting about it because yeah. people don't understand the Corporations Act can apply to workplace matters as well. That's right. Yeah. Things like wage underpayment of wages, a mm. clear breach of 181, 182, 183. Exactly. So it's not been done by regulators, but it doesn't mean it won't be done by regulators. No, and I think that's the key point, Andrew, is I think a theme that we've had over the last year in particular is, look, there is an increasing level of attention around director's duties in respect of breaches of other obligations and other pieces of legislation. So this is a really great example to say, look, it's not just these things that just solely sit under the Corporations Act. Like a lot of what we talk about, safety matters, underpayment matters, Fair Work Act matters, they're matters that come back to the responsibilities of directors. So increasing trend heading that way. And and we're going to talk about that more. Just briefly, by the way, we signed... This is our last show. Yes, oh, sorry, we do forget to we, mention We do come is... back on the 3rd of February. And yeah. as lawyers, we're on break from 23 December through to 9 January. That's right, right Andrew, yes. But people yeah, like no, me and Kim, we're on call. So if yes. you're going to ring anyone, ring Kim. Kim's not watching. So. Yeah, she's, she's, she's getting the phone. <laughs> yeah, so we're getting the text coming through very, very quickly. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, let's just jump into the introduction, Matt, because I reckon it's a really important issue. We just talked about director's duty, and that mm. was really to say, actually, this is what is happening, mm. both legislatively and at the court level. What mm. we're seeing is this ratcheting up of expectations around the behaviours of leaders in organisations mm. and the increasing liability levels that are attaching to that. Yes, that's right, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, and I think while I was having my toasted egg, egg and bacon sandwich, it looked good. And it Matt was good. casually drinking a sophisticated ways coffee. <laughs> I think what we've realised is you've been inundated with a range of information. 
which from lawyers and from consultants mm. saying there's these massive changes coming through. Yeah. Can I just say that they're not? Mm. There's bits and pieces of them that are different. Yes. But what has changed is the ratcheting up and expectations and responsibilities of leaders within business and the increased likelihood of prosecution based on the way these changes lift that responsibility. That's right, Andrew. I mean, I look exactly right. There's a lot of places out there at the moment that are using some really fantastic adjectives to make things sound like they're seismic changes and the Mm. world is different from employment and safety. But once you actually look at it as we've done sort of holistically, what we are actually seeing is what all of these changes go to is something that hadn't been happening or is increasingly starting to happen, which we think will ratchet up into 2023, which is this greater attention on director and executive responsibility for all sorts of matters that relate to yeah, employment so and safety. We, we, know, we started off with a dog and now we've got an angry dog. That's but, right. but we don't have an elephant. No, no, exactly. Because the yeah. law has changed in ways of increasing the opportunity to create liability. Yep. But actually the underlying tenets of what the law is trying to do hasn't been changed. No, that's right. So that's I right. think it's probably worth us just really emphasising that what we're going to try and do today is say to you, well, look, if there is this elevation in responsibility, mm. what is it for a start? What is that elevation in yep. responsibility? Then what are the actions you need to take? Yeah. Because everyone's been confused by it because they've been sidetracked by this crazy commentary of That's the rule, right. you know, the chicken little stuff, the sky's about to fall, That's the it. sky's yeah. about to fall. Exactly. Everyone goes, what does it mean? Yeah. And what we want you to keep coming back to is a risk lens mm. when we apply to it. So why don't we just kick off now to what I, I think I loosely call the gender, the revolution. gender revolution. Yes, you yeah, did, clearly on my second scotch when I wrote that. <laughs> what we're really talking about here is a political and community change about mm. how women should be treated. Yeah, I mean, I think 2022, the federal election, both the election of the Labor government, of course, and the success of the you know so-called teal independence, they represent a largely you know female ownership of roles now within Parliament, which is a fantastic change. But what it signifies, I think, more, Andrew, that we've discussed a couple of times over the last year is this shift in the attitude of the electorate regarding issues that affect women and the importance of having women in positions to be able to have a voice on those matters and then influence those decisions. And that context that that creates is something that applies now across all levels of our society. And so when Matt says that, that's not just a statement of fact, but it is a statement of fact. Yes, well, well, fact, yeah. you know, it's <laughs> yeah. well In fact, yeah. the data when you dig into it shows that um, people between the ages of 23 and 40, 70% of those people wanted integrity, climate change, and the protection and elevation yeah, of women. So right. they were the three issues that absolutely dominated and mm-hmm. they are now one half of the total voting public. Yes, So that's they're right. a very substantial part. So when you look at this legislation, the second part of that is it actually affects the intention of this. So what has happened with all this legislation that has come through is the crafting of the intent and the objectives of the legislation mm-hmm. to protect women and to ensure gender equality. That means when you look at a piece of law, you look at it through that lens. Very important part in construing a piece of legislation. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget, isn't it, Andrew? You can see courts and tribunals as being something that sometimes is a bit devoid of context of society, but they are buffeted and impacted by those pressures in the same way. So a shift in societal attitude reflected so seismically, to use an adjective as we've seen this year, it does filter through the way that legislation and law is applied. So let's talk briefly about what that change is, Matt. And I think the most obvious one... Well, there's two really obvious ones, isn't there? There is the prohibition that sits in secure jobs, which you must not sexually discriminate or harass. Yes, that's right. And then there there is the positive duty that's been cast 
And the positive duty is the really big one. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's, sits in the respect at work. Yeah. Can I just talk about the respect at work? I know I haven't been the kindest person about this piece mm. of legislation, but this legislation was designed to deliver to a liberal male group mm-hmm. a panacea for a nightmare that was happening in front of them. That's right. And it is written for that lens. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. why do I say that? Because if anyone was serious about sexual harassment, mm-hmm. they would utilise the provisions of the safety legislation yes. and they'd empower the Human Rights Commission mm-hmm. with the same regulatory powers to prevent it because mm-hmm. what all the evidence shows is there has been no change in sexual harassment, mm-hmm. discrimination and gender equality over a five-year period. That's right. So if you're going to do something about it and you're going to be serious, mm-hmm. that's what you do. So mm-hmm. understand these are tepid changes. That's right, Andrew. And they're much more focused in dealing with an individual's right to seek justice. Yes, which is the very thing around sexual harassment, which we know is flawed and that mm. very few people step forward. And there's, we've seen on the television many reasons mm. why you wouldn't step forward and make yep. a sexual harassment claim. Absolutely. So it doesn't cure the vice that sits here. I just no. want to be clear about well, that. Well, I think that's the key point, Andrew, and I think that's what's missing from a lot of the commentary we're seeing about, well, how does these changes under secure jobs and respected work impact your business? What we're missing is no one's actually sitting back and thinking like, yes, okay, you hear, oh, there's a new claim, hostile work environment, you've got sexual harassment in connection with work. The truth of it is, yes, of course, these are new plaintiff-friendly jurisdictions which will see an increase in plaintiff law firms in particular, particularly given the retention of the cost jurisdiction, see an increase in these. But when you come fundamentally back to the the illness that it's trying to cure in the law, it sort of fundamentally fails, I think, in two key yeah, respects. It's, it's Panadol, not surgery. That's right. That's right. Because it, no, <laughs> it, exactly, it's, it's, it's treating a symptom. It's not treating the yeah. actual cause. And what these changes really fail to do is two things. One is it still leaves it on individuals, as you've identified, Andrew, to drive the prosecution of these claims. And we know that people who experience sexual harassment are unlikely to report it to begin with, let alone bring claims. But there's no real empowerment both in funding and actual enforcement powers to any of the regulators in this space. The AHRC has been given some under a spectrum. That's right. But have no extra funding. No. So let's cut to the chase. That's our criticism. I think it needs to be heard. But what a positive duty does is introduces safety concepts into the management. Yes, and it goes back to our discussion around ASIC earlier mm. on. When I have a positive duty, I need to understand and mm. be aware of the nature of the risk yep. and hazards that exist. That's a requirement to obtain evidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I then and only then can determine what is the nature of control. And remember, sexual harassment lives in different corridors. It does. So yeah. it's some things like Christmas parties, it's really easy. Yep. But on a day-to-day basis, the way a woman is treated at work is very individual in nature. So... How do I get that evidence? And the answer is, which we'll t- we won't talk about for too long, but mm. is clearly I must set a baseline evidence as to what the risk is. And that comes through focus groups. It comes through doing research by sending out surveys. It comes through doing the risk, proper risk assessment process. Mm. You can't execute a positive duty if you don't know where the hazards are. Yeah. You don't know what the risk of those hazards are. And then you don't determine at that stage what are the resources and control you put in place. Yeah. So what the positive duty says is in documentary form, mm. you must have it. Yes. And that's one of the key changes. Is Absolutely. You've got to lift this process up into a documented system because mm. the executive group have to be satisfied that their hazards have been identified 
the risk is determined and the controls are in place, mm. or they will have like a reverse onus yeah. where they will not injury. be able yeah. to demonstrate yeah. that they've executed their positive GD. Yeah, exactly. And it gets slightly worse because the changes increase things like hostile workplaces, yep. which means behaviour which is not directed at a person mm. is still still a breach. Yes, exactly. And it's right, the aggregation of that sort of behaviour, mm. which is what you'll build a claim on. Yes. And that's pretty troubling, isn't it? Because three years later, they've mm. been answering episodes that occurred at different functions mm. and different places, none of which you knew of yep. because you didn't have an appropriate reporting no, or no system, system. No procedure. Suddenly, there is this wave of evidence that shows your culture is broken yeah. and the only intervention is an injunctive style intervention, yeah. which is now available. That's right, Andrew, yeah. I think that's the key thing. I think what we're really saying here is a lot of commentary, again, out there is going to say a pretty lazy, if I may say that, response, which is, I'll oh, get your policy, update your policy, put the new bits and pieces into it, hostile work environment. And the policy never stops sexual harassment, do well, that, that's, well, that's exactly right, You can hear someone with it, but that's yeah. about all it is. Exactly right, Andrew. What we're saying now is positive duty, hostile work environment, sexual harassment in connection with work, elevate this to the safety level concern it actually is. Yep. Undertake your risk assessment. That's got to be your 2023 priority around sexual harassment. What is the risk of sexual harassment in your business? And then consider what are the reasonably practical controls you can implement to mitigate that risk and protect your And that's where you've got to build the system. Absolutely. So this isn't about a policy, which is one-sixth of the system. This is about what is your plan? Yep. What are the policies and processes? What is your training and competency base? What is the supervisor capability? What is the monitoring system you have? And how do you report against it? Yes. So that each officer within an organisation can say, yeah, look, we do have a problem here and we're dealing with it. Yeah. Because you do have a problem, Mm. so you must deal with it. I want that to be really clear. That's right, Andrew. That's right. Why don't we go on to the next one, Matt? I think that's good. Okay, so we're going to go on to what topic did I actually chose one which was more benign and which psychological hazards. That's right, yeah. I don't even know what time we're running today because my idea of using the clock didn't work at all. Yeah, I think we're okay. We're okay? I think we need to move quickly. Move move quickly. Uh, Andrew, but that's okay. okay. (laughs) So psychological hazards we know is now in a number of jurisdictions or will be in a number of jurisdictions Mm -hmm. coming to you. So Victoria is one that's coming to you. We know that in South Australia is probably coming to you. Mm-hmm. It's definitely in New South Wales, definitely in Queensland. Mm-hmm. ACT is just running with it. Yep. It's in the north. So it's out there. Yeah, yeah. And we've so, been talking about it all year. Yes. Yep. And again, there's a lot of huff and puff about this, mm-hmm. but this was something that was always there just yes. through what is reasonably practical. Mm-hmm. What has changed is an understanding through these codes and regulations about that the hazard's not the old ones. They're, yeah. they're terrible. The violence that exists in workplace, sexual harassment, Pulling those extreme forms are there and in some states will be reportable and notifiable. Yep. Another trend which is taking off in the ACT mm-hmm. is in part of the regs here as to notifiable yep. but not immediately notifiable and without a doubt in the next 12 to 18 months sexual harassment at least will be a notifiable That's and so I expect and safety law will start to own that. Yes. But psychological hazards are about leadership. They're about creating certainty mm-hmm. in the work that's being done, ensuring people are utilising their skills properly. Yep. The volume of work is right and there's a reward and recognition system that doesn't. They're the things that are damaging people, okay? So, again, the lazy response is mm. to say you need a policy. Yeah, get a policy. That's all you need. You what, what is yeah. the policy referring to? Where that's is the right. evidence? Yeah. So, once again, you need the system that sits mm. around psychological safety. Mm. And we're starting to see other governments 
clipping away at it another way. Yeah. And you've got an industrial manslaughter system, mm. which is being built around managing serious psychological hazards because That's right. it's a place where a death can occur outside, outside of, work. of work. Yeah, but linked to work. Yeah, yeah. and we're yeah. seeing a federal government who's interested in Oh, the re- yeah, bringing the reverse yeah. onus into their into, into the that as well. into their whole work health and safety exactly. system. Yeah, and having industrial manslaughter is something that is mandated. And yes. we've seen that refracted around Australia. But my point about this is, this is something which is fundamental to providing a good workplace. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. in a very akin to the sexual harassment point. It, it needs a system, so it yeah. needs a plan about how you're going to manage mm-hmm. it, which comes from evidence. So mm-hmm. it needs a risk assessment that's sitting in there. Mm-hmm. Then you can look at policy. Yeah. Then you can say, okay, what do we actually need? Then I can look at my training needs. Mm. But where's the training got to be first? It's got to be the leadership group. It does, it does. Because they've got to be aware of what it is they need to to build as a plan to have a report against. Yes, yes. So that you can actually manage this. Yes, exactly right, Andrew. And we've already got two Victorian cases that have started to prosecute the leadership issues, yes. not the big issues. Yes. And we're going to see regulators stepping now because of the failure in respect of work, stepping into the sexual harassment arena. That's right, that's right. And the yeah. ACT is a classic example, which yep. took that idea and actually has put it in safety legislation mm. that a sexual assault is a notifiable incident. Yep. So safety is being bled back into other areas because of the failure in legislation. Yeah, and that's one of your key points, Andrew, and I think a real key trend for 2023 in particular too, increasing bleeding in of safety into these other matters that you might have once just thought were simply workplace-related matters. Now, the other part to look at is we'll talk more about capability in the next part of it, Mm. but one of the structural things you must do is look at job design. Absolutely. So when we talk about what is the plan, the first thing is to understand about how work is designed at work Mm. so that you have that factual basis. Are people doing the work they should be doing? Mm-hmm. Is the volume of work improperly spread? Mm-hmm. Now, you'll see all of these form what we're talking about today into one process. So they collapse into the one process yes. of analysis. This isn't five jobs you've got to go out and no. do. This is one job. One big overarching okay. job. That's right. Andrew. And that's why this has bugger all to do yes. with creating a nice policy and that's stamping so it. That's right, Andrew. Yeah, the don't sit and forget. Uh, oh, I'm mad. I'm mad. for the end of the year. But it's... It's a fantastic point, Andrew. It's right. Everything that we're talking about today, what we're saying is our major sort of takeaway for 2023 is it's time to step back actually and reassess at a holistic level from your leadership level all the way down. What is the systems or what are the systems, excuse me, that you have in place to address these? Based on on evidence. Based on evidence. So so it's only after you've got the evidence you can create the plan. Yeah, that's right. Once you've got the plan, you can then descend down into policy, training, competency-based development, monitoring systems and reporting systems that allow officers to actually manage the process correctly. Yes, exactly, Andrew. All right. Now, I just do want to say about the reverse safety, this issue, um, the reverse onus. In 2011 or 12, I think it was, 2011 New South Wales backed away from their reverse onus. But at that stage, it was the only jurisdiction in the history of Australia that ever made money from prosecutions. Mm, so it was, statistic it, was actually, it was actually in surplus. Mm. When it, and part of the reason it was revoked is it made it impossible for business to actually respond properly. I ran mm. three or four trials during this mm. time. It was incredibly difficult to get over the bar because mm. most organisations don't have the documentary structure mm. to be able to respond to a reverse onus test, yes. which we've seen throughout adverse action claims just the same. Mm-hmm. So this is pretty frightening. This is part of a labour platform, okay? It's a labour platform for all offences under the Act. So some of these offences go to jail offences. Yes. And if they had reverse onus, what we're doing is reversing the standard 
the standard of care, yeah. which is you're not guilty. Yeah, 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 guilty. Yeah. So it is scary, and yeah. it comes back to this part that Matt and I are talking about. It's unfortunate, but particularly the Queensland version of what's happening mm. with spies is when you look at their codes, they're document-rich. Mm. They require they incredible detail around their documents. Mm. Now, that's Queensland, yep. but it's a bit of a lesson to us all. If I want to be able to defend a claim where I must prove it myself that I did nothing wrong, mm. what must you do? You must have good documented plan, processes, training that proves competency. I must have proper contemporaneous notes of issues. I must deal with all issues that are reported as a potential breach of safety legislation, psychological hazards, misconduct, mm -hmm. sexual, sexual harassment. Yeah. I must treat those as a safety issue, mm. make an incident report into them and investigate them. Yep. So do you see how this coalesces into one whole? It does. But what it requires is evidence. Yes. Policies yeah. don't create evidence. No. They, they create a pathway. No, that's right. That's right, Andrew. All right. So we're now on to the next one, which yep. is flexible working. Flexible working. I think the buzzwords, I think if you've heard anyone yeah. on any sort of employment law platform speak over the last few years, but we're thinking about it a little bit differently. I, I think what we're trying to say is, look, flexible working has been beefed up so mm. that as a business you must be able to demonstrate your business case. It's more intrusive tests that's against right. you about someone requesting a carer's responsibilities. Yep. Oh, that's, yep. that's all good. And we're also hearing about, well, you know, COVID meant that we can work at home, not work at home. The only problem that's really arisen out of that is people's failure to create certainty around it. Yes, yes, a good point. It is now a reality yes. and you should sort of own it and you should do that mm -hmm. based on a business and risk-based assessment yep. as how you manage it. Mm -hmm. But most people have started to establish that in a workable way. Mm -hmm. But what we're really blessed with at the moment is a high court that says, if I say, Matt, you're a casual, and you say, I'm a casual, yep. and I document that, yep. you're a casual. That's our agreement. Yeah. That's what's in the right. So we're in a place now of flexibility which we should be starting to enjoy, which is we should go back to our capability structure. We mm. should analyse and say, mm. look, what is our core talents we must keep? Let's definitely employees, mm. okay? Yep. It's an incentivised process around key employees. Yeah. The ebb and flow of business through a disruptive environment, mm. where do we need to flex? Yep. And what would be the ideal mechanism? Would it be a contractor? Would it be a casual? Look at my awards. Okay, I can even build into my business case that after 12 months I've got a good business case for saying, no, you stay casual Yeah. if you've got a good business case. So right. coming back to this capability analysis mm. and building a business case deals with the spokes on the wheel. It deals with when people seek flexible work, I know that job can't for this reason, mm. okay, because it yep. fits the business reason, or I know it can for this reason. But why do we always wait for the question to come before we create the business case? That's the key point. Whereas true. what we've got now mm. with this high court around what is a contractor, mm. what is a casual, mm. and the sort of slightly flawed provisions around fixed terms that are coming under yeah, under secure jobs, yeah. which means you can easily work around those forever mm. because they are so flawed, mm -hmm. is that you have this unique circumstance where you can create an entirely flexible workplace mm. as long as you design business capability carefully mm. and plot who does what. That's right, Andrew. I think what we're talking about here too is it's not flexible working purely from the perspective of the employee, which is how it's most commonly sort of discussed and referred to. We're talking about here, as Andrew, you've identified, it's the flexibility in the way you arrange your work. You know, this is really an interesting period of time that we're living in in this space where 
the court, the high court in particular, are giving us a reasonable amount of certainty for the first time around who's an employee, who's a contractor, who's casual, who's permanent, that really comes back to what have you agreed in writing at the commencement so just, of that engagement? Can I just say this is a chance to grab it? That's we, right. we probably won't get this chance again to grab no. genuinely flexible workplaces. Yeah. So what we will do now is jump to the problem. Let's do it, Andrew. Yep. Rachel was a senior manager at Terry Tanny and Terry Apartment. Partners, PTYLTD, I almost got there, a large accounting firm. Her boss, a principal named Roy, was a hard-working direct man of 45. He was a member of the executive. The hours of work were long. Rachel worked in the audit team. They often attended site to undertake parts of the audits. Roy's client base was family-owned manufacturing, often suburban plants run by fathers and sons. They were confronting for women. Rachel had learned to dress down when she attended sites. Rachel raced with Roy, the nature of the yeah. Sorry. Sorry, last one, last, last one. one. <laughs> Rachel had raced with Roy, the nature of the clients, the manner in which she was treated, which ranged from being, being treated as a second-class person. The owners would check in with Roy what she was asking for was really necessary to comments that were reducing her importance by her gender and outright harassment through the making of sexualised comments. Rachel had specifically raised two issues. First, that much of her remote work could be done from home. She lived an hour and a half from the city centre in Cranbourne. It didn't require her to come into the city offices or travel even further across town to clients. Second, she did not want to do Hutch and Haven, a construction company in Hampton, as her treatment there had been terrible. They were rude, joked about her sexually, and the younger son repeatedly would drop by and touch her on the shoulder, suggestively making it look like an accident. Roy spoke to the father at Hutch and Hayden. He laughed but said not to worry. Roy told Rachel, but she repeated that she didn't want to go. Roy told her to grow up. He also said no to any flexibility, even though he knew Rachel's husband was a FIFO worker and she had a young family. Rachel went to Hutch and Hayden the following day and was abused by the son. She left their offices distressed and was later found by her husband unconscious after taking too many of her prescribed antidepressant medication. She had shown no signs of her distress before. Okay, now it's pretty easy at this. Yeah. Everyone's liable. On Everyone is liable, liable on the safety. Hutch, My goodness. Hutch and Haven's liable. Yeah, that's right. The son's liable. That's right. Roy is definitely liable. Yes. Terry. Terry, Terry, Terry and Tammy. Terry, Terry, Terry and Tammy. The county. The doggy county. The doggy county. liable. And for two of them, Roy and the son, it's probably reckless endangerment. And the reason is what Roy knew was happening. Yep in a high-risk environment yes. was that she was being subjected to something which was unlawful, yep. wrong and hurtful. Yep. And he did nothing about it. Yeah, it makes sense. So he's indifferent. Yeah. So he was reckless with that's it. That's right. That's, that's sort of close to off to jail. The son is much closer to going off to jail. Absolutely. But would without doubt be a very, very substantial fine. And remember, the definition of person mm. under reckless endangerment it's means it doesn't have to be a worker. That's right. So they have very, very significant liability and they have third-party liability in what's called the primary duties yes. if they affect a third party who's not there. Yes, So there you absolutely. go. Lots of people on the hook for that. If Rachel died, could Roy or other officers of the firm be prosecuted under industrial manslaughter? The answer is Roy definitely could be. Yes, Roy, absolutely. Unlikely to occur, but let's talk about it. Is there a breach mm. of duty? There is a breach of duty. Yes, is it a bit criminal liability? And this is where Roy may get off. To have criminal liability, there can be. it is the most serious breach of duty yeah. that you can consider. Mm. With the information he had, it's close. That's right. But yeah. I don't think that WorkSafe would prosecute no, it. No, maybe in the context of the things we've been talking about and how that shifts the overall But a little bit more, matters, a little bit more yeah, information. I agree, I agree. So if she started crying, if she described the inability to sleep, if she yes. threw, then I'm afraid he would be off to jail for a yeah, long time. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to yeah. the next questions. 
Okay, if Rachel survived, would she have a successful common law claim for damages? This yep. takes the High Court case. Yeah, Cosgrove case. Cosgrove yeah. case yep. we've been talking about, which yep. says in a high-risk environment, the absence of signs or symptoms are relevant. Mm. There is a positive duty yep. to intervene to ensure people are safe. Yeah, it's assumed awareness of the high-risk okay. environment. Okay, yeah. so pretty easy one. That If Rachel survived, would she have a successful discrimination harassment claim? By G, she would. Oh, my goodness. And yes. because she's been touched during this process, because yep. it's been a protracted period, and yep. because she's complained and yet it continues, mm. her general damages are above the sort of minimum threshold for that sort of work Absolutely, of 150. Absolutely. So you're somewhere between 150 to $300,000, yeah. and that's before you get economic loss yeah, and medical loss. We got so this, the, yeah, that's right. Know, so yeah. she was unable to come back to work for mm. three or four years. Mm. You're there at a million dollars to claim. Yeah. Does Rachel have a successful general protectionist claim on yeah. two bases, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So she's got the discrimination complaint issue, which is the, the breach of the general protections in that respect, and she's also directly made a complaint about the terms and conditions of her employment right. and the way that she's being treated by people. Oh, yeah. that's sorry, and, and the flexible work. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so, yeah, she's got a good running case. Does Rachel have a successful workers' compensation claim? And absolutely, and yeah. there is absolutely no defence. And even if she didn't bring a claim, mm. this is substantial business, say they have remuneration of $4 million mm. a year, even in accounting, which is a low category risk in insurance throughout Australia, yeah. they'd be paying a premium around about two fifty three hundred thousand. premium hit, Andrew. So yeah. the premium hit in Victoria could be about half a million dollars in New South Wales and Queensland could be much more. It's yeah. a five-year period that mm. we'd be looking at. Mm. So, yes, very successful claim. Mate, yeah. that is it. It is it. It's the oh, like. thanks very much, Andrew. And I appreciate that. Have a lovely break, guys. Yeah, Merry yeah. Christmas. Happy we look forward to seeing you. All those things. Okay. Cheers, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Thumbs up. Yes, we want thumbs. Do we just still do thumbs? Well, yeah, I want thumbs. Oh, well, yeah. I suppose I we can put it on LinkedIn. Thumbs okay. up. Thumbs. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.